0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter, and you may remain seated. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a city built on a hill that cannot be hid, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. This past season... Debbie and I were able to enjoy the holidays with family. And that's the first time we've been able to do that in 12 years. So it was a good time. We were able to watch those little grandchildren open their presents on Christmas morning. Oh, that was a treat. And we were able to watch Ohio State lose to Clemson with the Blake clan. What a downer that was. Another downer was the lack of sunshine. I recall going outside and looking up and seeing blue sky only one afternoon, and even then, only for just a couple of hours. The rest of the time, oh, it was gloomy. There was either rain or sleet or snow. And that seasonal gloominess, which in Ohio lasts usually from November to May is the reason why in the Buckeye State there are so many, many, many temples to the sun. Temples to the sun. By that I mean tanning salons. (laughs) That business is booming in Ohio during the winter months. And there's a temple to the sun in every strip mall in every neighborhood. Temples and lots of them. That certainly was true of the ancient world. There were temples, temples, temples in every city, not just temples to the sun, but temples to Isis, Apollo, Zeus, Athena, Sibylle, Marduk, Bel, and of course, Yahweh, the God of Israel, with his house in Jerusalem. Those temples, And the religious practices associated with them were a big business in the ancient world. The ancients took their religion very, 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 very seriously. And I suspect if they were to spend some time with us, observing us in our daily routines, even our Sunday morning routines, watching our acts of piety... They would leave us happily and our world. And they would be thinking how atheistic we were. Religion in the ancient world was everywhere. It was always expressed in acts of piety. That is the proper reverence, respect, and adoration of the gods and goddesses. Yes, at the many temples in Jerusalem, Alexandria, Rome, Babylon, Athens, piety... Piety everywhere. Piety centered on worship. On prayer. Always on proper sacrifice. Presided over by properly appointed priests. But religion was not confined just to sacred time and space. It was pervasive. It spilled over into every routine. There were special Gestures of respect and gratitude to the gods associated with every place, every daily activity. Things like planting, harvesting, the preparation of meals, not just the eating of meals. Before one went out to practice one's craft or trade, harvesting, setting out on a journey. Just entering one's own house, going off to battle. Religion for the ancients was not something done with only a part, a small part of one's time, space, and attention. It demanded attention in virtually every time and space because every time and space was potentially an opening for some divine presence and power. So again, if those old folks lived with us for a while, they would ask us, you're pious on Sunday morning, but where is it the rest of the week? Show us the beef. Now, we, of course, would reply, well, we're always thinking about God. We're always praying silently. We just don't show our piety. And they would say, not good enough. Show us. Show us your devotion, your reverence. A fine scholar by the name of Luke Timothy Johnson has devoted much of his career to the study of ancient religion how it was practiced. And after spending years of reading about every religious text that has come down to us from the ancient world, he has concluded that all of the religion in the ancient world fell into four general categories, four broad types. Milo, if you will, there's my pie chart. It's not as good as the one Keith displayed last week at our annual meeting, but I tried. A circle, four quadrants, one, two, three, and four, and next to each quadrant is the title assigned to each category by Dr. Johnson. Category one, there were those who participated in religion at all the various temples and every day and all that they did because they hoped. Through the practice of their religion, their expressions of piety, they would receive some divine benefit from a god or a goddess or multiple gods and goddesses. I'm not going to say anything about two, three, or four. We don't have time for that. I'll just tell you, a Lutheran should be in category number two. If you're not, come and see me. We'll chat. Category 1 was the broadest and most popular way of being religious in the ancient world. People who practiced their religion this way were looking for, longing for salvation. And by that, I do not mean a happy afterlife. But salvation in this world the promise of safety protection success healing things needed in this real and sometimes cruel world these folks went to temple participated in the cult in all the various rituals because they desired blessing So here's an example of how this might work in today's world. Today, according to our modern religious calendar, today is a very special day. It is one of the prescribed nefasti, a day where everything ordinary and profane are suspended. It's a festival day. It's a day dedicated to rest, celebration, sacrifice to the gods, and feasting. Our calendar calls it Super Bowl Sunday. Devoted pilgrims from all over the country will be making their way to the NGR temple in Houston, Texas. They'll be gathering there with other pilgrims. And they'll be blessed by the wonderful presence of the high priestess of song, Lady Gaga. Before the game, the athletes will be in their respective locker rooms praying Purifying themselves. And the Patriots need more of that than the Falcons. (laughs) And the gods of the NFL pantheon will be there as well, watching over all of the festivities and the contest itself. And they'll be there, close, close, hanging in the air hoping to smell some wonderful things. Wonderful scents rising up to the heavens by all the many priests outside at the tailgate party. They'll all be priests in proper attire. Not in orbs and stoles, but they'll be wearing aprons with their team logo right here. And they'll be standing before not gas-fired grills, but real charcoal grills. Burning lump charcoal, not those artificial briquettes. Oh, they'll be cooking, and they'll be chanting. The priests from Atlanta will be grilling whole hogs, and there will also be smoking vats of chitlins. The priests from Boston, however, they'll be smoking oysters on those grills, and a few lobster tails, and maybe some cod, and they'll be standing near large vats of New England clam chowder. And the gods The gods, based on the quantity and tastiness of all those sacrifices, they will be the ones deciding who wins today. Not Bill Belichick and his game plan, nor the plan of the coach from Atlanta, nor the skill of the players and their courage. None of that. The gods will decide. The NFL gods, based on the sacrifices made at the temple in Houston. That's religiosity type one in the modern world. And if it sounds rather mechanical, bordering almost on the magical, it is and it was. And Dr. Johnson, after considering so many ancient texts and what those texts had to say about worship and ritual and piety and prayer, he noted an absence of a certain topic in all those ancient texts. Oh, they went on and on about religious calendars and who can be a priest and how the priests must serve and how they have to be dressed and when sacrifices are to be made. But in most of those texts, there never ever was any mention of the moral character expected by any of the gods being worshipped. Just acts of Piety. That's unusual. Well, now listen to a complaint of a type one worshiper. Why do we fast and you do not see? Why humble ourselves but you do not notice? Lord, why after we take the time to make the long journey to your holy temple after being there all day performing the proper and correct rituals all prescribed in your holy law, why do you not take notice of our acts of piety and reply to them in kind? And... From that text in Isaiah, we can hear the reply of the God of Israel. And it's short, and it's painful, and it's this. Why should I? Yes, you come to my temple. You put in your time there. There you perform your pious acts. You do them in my name, but always, always, you're only seeking blessing for yourselves. All your piety, all your prayers, all your sacrifice, they're all self-serving. And I know that because when you leave my house, you don't do a single thing, not a single thing, to be a source of blessing for anyone else. If you expect blessing from me, then be a blessing be a blessing. The text from Isaiah makes clear that the God of Israel was not, is not enamored with ritual. The piety he desires goes far beyond any set of cultic obligations. The obligation placed on each of us, all of us, is the pursuit of God's own righteousness for ourselves and For the other. And the text describes that pursuit of righteousness. The Lord asks this Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them, and to not hide yourself when your own kin are in need? Religion type 1 is on display in Isaiah 58. And what the Lord thinks of it is also on display in Isaiah 58. But if that chapter from Isaiah seems so very Old Testament, too legalistic, then dear people, listen to these very words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. And then the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, you that are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And this wonderful text from Matthew gives us a clue as to how we can be transformed so that the righteous flow of mercy and kindness might grow in our midst and become a mighty and true river of blessing. And that clue comes at that, in that phrase at the end of this parable of judgment and promise. You did it to me. You did it to me. Dear people, our generosity, our kindness, our acts of mercy, any that we might do, should not be done simply because God requires it. We can do it that way. We can meet our pious obligations, these demands for mercy. But if we do such things just out of a sense of duty, obligation, then I suspect our acts of kindness will never be much more than a kind of trickle-down righteousness. Always measured. Always selective. Always stingy. For that small stream of kindness and mercy to grow so that it becomes a mighty river of blessing depends On only one thing. Not trying harder. Not becoming more obedient to God's demands. The clue tells us. It simply requires. One thing. A change in our perception. Of the other. Of the neighbor. Of the friend. Of the acquaintance. Seeing them not just as a needy person, but, and not just seeing them as God sees them, but seeing them as bearing the very image of their Creator. Seeing in them the glory of the face of God Himself. And when we can see others that way, oh, the gates of mercy and kindness, I'm certain, will be opened. May God bless us in this new year with this new kind of godly seeing. May God and his Holy Spirit move each of us beyond simple duty and piety to a whole new and holy praxis, one that always beams, beams with the very glory and love of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.